0: Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Louis Heron. Here's the show. All right, man. So, just tell me a little bit about your background, um, just kind of where you were from and your upbringing and all that kind of stuff.
1: Man, where do we begin, man? You want you want me to go all the way uh, back in the in the Miami days? Yes, <laughs> childhood, I guess. I don't know where you want to start. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, this is Louis Heron. Um, Currently, a uh, automotive dealer, uh, forty one years old, be forty two coming up here in just a few days. Actually, uh, no premature happy birthday, Zach. You know you can do that if you want. But uh, no,
0: I feel, I feel weird about that. It, it seems kind of cheesy. Like, yeah, right. I don't really care, so I'm not going to pretend to.
1: That's cool. Uh, <laughs> I, hey, I take it. No big deal. Um, you know, but you know, I don't I, recall you caring when it was my birthday. <laughs> I hey, good point. Good point. Yeah. I, okay, I, what were you saying? Yeah. So, and so at any rate, so uh, automotive dealer, uh, you know, at 41, 42 years old. But let me take you back. Uh, you know, currently I reside right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, in Greensboro, Georgia. Uh, the dealership's in Madison, Georgia. Cause, so it's kind of small town or a rural, rural business. Um, but prior to getting the automotive business and, and, and prior to uh, going to college and doing some of those things, it, it kind of uh, all started uh, born and raised in Miami, Florida. And uh, had some challenges. I think, like like most people have in their life, everyone's got a story, you know, and how they handle that story is is really the basis of whether they uh, win or lose in life. And so, the the, the story that I was dealt with uh, was one where my mother had uh, remarried when I was about five years old. And uh, never really met my biological father. I was probably one or so, so I, he was there, but I don't really recall him. Did meet up with him later on when I was about 25 years old. But uh, basically, I live with my uncle's from uh, basically one till five years old in Youngstown, Ohio. When I came back down to Miami, mom was remarried. She remarried a, a, another gentleman who who I looked at as my father. He's the guy that raised me. He adopted me he, to uh, give me his last name. And um, so I, we resided in South Florida. And um, But it was kind of a tough deal uh, up because although I was a pretty good kid, uh, you know, I was in South Florida. So, you know, I did a lot of stuff with graffiti and vandalized houses and, you know, we, I was into break dancing and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, pa- eventually my, my, my folks put me in a Christian school. It was really kind of to babysit me really. Uh, that was about when I was in sixth grade or so, they put me in a Christian school. But, but up to that point, uh, my mother and father's relationship was extremely, uh, toxic, extremely abusive. Uh, mom was, uh, spent the most of my childhood that i could remember either uh, heavily sedated with you know with with cocaine mm. drugs uh, you know, and this smoking is while weed you were in
0: while you were in Christian school. There
1: uh, oh yeah, oh this is this is from as as far back as I can remember. I was telling someone the other day that I can remember. You know, she was such a bad alcoholic. I could remember driving to third and fourth grade at seven in the morning, and she'd have you know a Crown Royal and ice. And I can hmm. hear, I can I can still hear in the vet, uh, you know, uh, the the ice you know hitting against the glass, you know. But that's what she did. You know, every morning she started and probably drank a pint of Crown Royal daily. Hmm. You know, and then it got into <laughs> drug use and. All those Well, my father, who raised me, he was kind of a you know he was kind of kind of a country guy, a high personality. He owned a roofing company, so he was a construction guy. Uh, you know, he 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 loved a good fight. You know, in a bar. I mean, he was that kind of guy. You know, mm-hmm. and so basically, you know, he and her would fight all the time, and he'd beat her up. And then you know, as I got older, I was the oldest of five, and since I was kind of like the stepchild, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't physically his. You know, biologically, so I felt like I got the brunt of everything, and mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I grew up. And so growing up in that environment, as I got you know uh, 11 12 14 years old then I would get involved in the altercations mm-hmm. and then the next year you're 16 years old and you realize that, man this is this is not a good deal but I realized at a young age that I had to leave but prior to that when I went to the Christian school in as a sixth grader uh that's where I came to know Christ but when I first got there uh, it, I had a bad attitude about faith, religion. Right. You know, I didn't. I wasn't exposed to that as a child. No, no one in my family was churched or went to church or right. pushed it, promoted it. We didn't pray together. It wasn't that and, kind of family. And I
0: feel like uh, the role of God is so similar in some ways to the role of your father that when your father is uh, horrible, yeah. <laughs> or, or you know, or yeah. or just not a great example of that, that it can kind of affect your. View of God. Well, I've seen I, for me anyway.
1: You know, I, I'll tell you, and, and 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 not to get too sidetracked. I think the thing that most people do is they don't realize that negative environments, negative circumstances, all have their place. They're all pre, they're all predestined by God. They're all ordained by Him. They're all meant for a purpose. They all have a specific agenda. And really, they're gifts. And, and unfortunately, you can't really connect the dots when you're in them. It's only right. when you, like, years later look back and you can yeah. see where one of these things led to something else. And you realize as you mature and understand. So, for, like, to this day, out of all the stuff that me and my dad has been through, I have no heartburn Love him to death. We don't have a great relationship. It's like we don't talk every day, but right. but it's like he can call me today, and it would be like there's no resentment, there's no bitterness. Yeah. Regardless of what he did to my mom, regardless of what he did to me, uh, I know that God had a plan for him being in my life. And so for me, I'm totally grateful for my dad because there right. are a lot of things he taught me growing up on what to do, but he never spoke them to me. I just watched him, and I knew what not to do. Right. You know, So it was a key piece by watching him be a father or lack thereof or a husband lack thereof. Those things taught me. You know, hey, I'm not going to do that when, yeah. when I have children or, or when I'm married. But what he did teach me on a positive front is he was a beast of a worker. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy was an entrepreneur. The guy was a hard worker. I remember he'd tell me all the time as a kid, he said, sleep is for broke people. You know, he'd <laughs> get me up at 5 a.m. Yeah. It, it wouldn't matter oh, what day it was, man. He would mm-hmm. come in, flick the lights on, rip the covers off, say, hey, man, sleep's for broke people. Let's go. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, what are we doing, dad? Right. He's like, I'm going to work. You need to come." I feel, and-
0: I feel like that's missing now that for some reason, parents now. Feel the obligation to give it to their life to their kids, uh, like easier than they had it. Exactly. But meanwhile, if they got anywhere, it's because it wasn't given to them easy, and yeah. they learned that life was hard, but that they could yeah. beat it anyway.
1: Yeah. So, like, so for me, my dad, uh, when I look at that whole upbringing, now when I was seventeen, eighteen, I'm not gonna lie to you, I, I was, I was a pissed, angry kid, right. right? I was, I was aggravated. I was really upset and didn't understand at the time, and but as I got saved as a sixth grader. Uh, Miss Harris, she was my sixth grade teacher. Never forget, I used to go to chapel services in this Christian school, and I used to be the guy that would just disrupt everything and just <laughs> just a pain in the neck kid. And yeah. but I but I would go to th- as as the a, as a school year went on, five, six, eight chapels down the road, and the Holy Spirit was working in my heart, and I knew something was going on. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was going on. I couldn't put my finger on it. Right. And one day after chapel, man, I was just really emotional. I was like crying. We were in the hallway coming up the stairs. I'll never forget it. And she was. She was like, "Stay right here, stay right here." She went back inside. The, she went up the stairs, went went to the classroom, grabbed a Bible, came back out. She mm-hmm. said, "I'm going to lead you to Christ. Are you in a position to do that?" And I was like, "Well, what does it mean?" She is, you know, she basically just said, "Look, if you believe that Christ died for you and that you can have a life that's filled with abundance and not fear and worry and anxiety and the things right. that you've experienced and expressed to me that you go through, you know, God, God's the healer. He's right. going to heal you all that stuff." And I was like, "Absolutely. I, yeah. How do you do that?" You know. Yeah. So I got saved. She got me a Bible, and then from that day forward, got baptized. As a sixth grader though, I don't think you fully comprehend the yeah. power of Christ, right? right? But I did know what I did, right? And I knew that my heart was changed because right. I could tell I was different. And, and so it was like going home, it was like I was living in the blind, you know, I was living in the land of the blind. I, could, I was the only one I could see. I'm watching all this. Yes. And so now from from spiritualized, not that I was over churchy or over spiritual, I sure. just I just knew that, ooh, this is not what God's word says we're supposed to talk and how at that point I really didn't know how how God wanted you to treat your husband, treat your wife, treat right, your right. kids, language you know, uh, drug use, alcohol. I mean, that stuff was just part of my life growing yeah. up. Not me personally, sure. but what I saw. It was just what normal was. It was yeah. normal. It was normal. Right. I didn't know any different. Right. And um, but so as 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 I became, you know, uh, you know, a freshman, a sophomore and athletics became a huge part of my life. You know, I just got laid it on my heart with the passion I had for football. And and he's like, you know, I I just, I felt like, look, I want to get out of this house. And the way to do it is I need to get a college scholarship to play football. You (laughs) know, that's my ticket out of here because I don't want to live here. Uh, I don't want to become what I'm seeing. And quite honestly, I didn't feel the love from my dad. I didn't feel the love from my mom. Uh, And I don't even know that I felt very lovable, to be honest with you. I I knew my mom had some strong love for me, but the way she expressed it, I didn't really feel it because she wasn't really present. Yeah. And half the time she was blown out of her mind by alcohol or drugs. So... (laughs) You know, it's, it was terrible for her. Looking back, I know why she did a lot of, the, of those things of, of habit, as well as, you know, in fear that she was going to get into a fight and get beat up by, by my dad, probably. So mm. she'd rather be sedated and right. take a beating than, yeah. which was probably another excuse. But But, and she should have left long, long before she right. ever eventually did. But, long story short, um, I went on and knew that it was time to go, and uh, and so my senior year, I remember my dad used to joke, but this is the kind of guy he was. He said, "We're going to have two birthday parties. We're going to have your 18th birthday party and a going away party because when you're 18, you're out of here," you know. And he just <laughs> wasn't joking. He was, yeah, yeah. but that's how he was, you know. And, and looking back, you know, I, I joke with him every now and again when he brings it up, and he acts sometimes as if he's got amnesia, he don't really recall, or he'll make it in jest like he was joking, and, and right. maybe he was. I don't know, but for you know, for a 17, 18 year old kid, you take it serious when yeah, you, when, you're when dead, you, yeah. yeah, when you're thinking like. I don't know that you really have this, the love that I'm looking for. I don't right. really feel loved, and then you're telling me there's going to be a going away party. I'm, I'm believing you. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking you're, you know. So, and and as a father now, I couldn't imagine talking to my son or my daughter that way. But right. you know, that's just how they operated. So you know, you know, I, I left and I went to uh, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. and uh, and played football there for a year. And uh, transferred to West Georgia College. Now, there's a lot in between that. I know we got you got some other <laughs> questions you want to ask me, so I won't get into yeah. the details. But uh, <laughs> I went on there on a partial scholarship um, and transferred because I wasn't going to play as fast as I wanted to, uh, and transferred to West Georgia College. Went to West Georgia College, uh, not knowing a soul. Now, remember, the, here's the power of God. I remember when I was 18 years old, in the blue on the uh, driving up the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I remember thinking to myself, I was crying like a baby. I was 18 years old. I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. Didn't know a soul. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? And I knew I had this feeling like I never wanted to go back home. I said, I'm never going back home because I, I just I just knew what what, what that would bring. Right. And I just cried out to God. And I was like, man, God, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And it just God spoke to my heart. You know, Romans, you know, eight twenty eight said, all things going to work out, man. All things work to the good that are, that that love God and called according to His purpose. And at the time, you know, I didn't necessarily know I I was called. I didn't necessarily know what my purpose was, but I knew that I loved God, you know, and I knew I loved him with all my heart because I knew that I didn't feel like I had a a, a earthly father, but I knew that, you know, God was my heavenly father. And whenever I had trials at home, I mean, I'd go to God in prayer and I'd feel the sense of security that I couldn't explain the peace that kind of passes anyone's understanding. You know, the guy's coaches, people that knew my home situation as I was a uh, sophomore, junior, and senior, they were all just like, oh my gosh, how do you deal? I, because they knew right. what, I, what I was going through. And they were yeah. just like, man, you just seem like a well-mannered, like you just, you know. And I, I just tell them, it's not me, it's Christ. I mean, it's, I, I can't explain to you, but I feel at peace, you know. So I transferred to West Georgia, um, played college football there, good good competition, had fun, Division two, and um, wanted to play in the NFL, wasn't good enough. <laughs> and uh, so I figured, you know what, I'll just guess I'll just be a coach and a teacher, right? That's what every mm-hmm. athlete does, you know, <laughs> they just become a coach and a teacher. The problem was, my grades sucked. I wasn't that good. Okay? Right. I wasn't that smart. <laughs> uh, and quite honestly, I, I remember I get teased all the time because I love to, you know, you know, do chapel services or assemblies for high school kids, or you know, it's a lot of speaking engagements. And I failed speech twice in college, which is really, really, oh, wow. which is really hilarious. Yeah. But that just shows you what God can do with you, right? You know, at the time I, speaking in front of people freaked me out. But yet now I speak in front of people, and it's like a huge passion, a amount of, mine of sure. enjoyment to like inspire. And right. so God can do massive, crazy things. When you don't think you can do them, you know, and so, so I go to West Georgia, uh, I was going to be a coach and a teacher finished my four years, the problem was, I still had about two and a half years of school. And uh, so I had to make a decision because I had no more scholarship money. And I had some financial aid. But the fact of the matter was, I was working at uh, Lowe's distribution plant, loading uh, trucks on a shipping and receiving dock, and, uh, you know, waiting tables during the week. And, uh, and so I figured, you know, I don't want to pay for the school and I wasn't an academia. I didn't really care for school. Right. So I just dropped out, you know I mean? Again, with, with, with very little parental supervision, sure. uh, people telling me, Hey man, what are you thinking? stay, yeah. stay in school, finish school, get your degree. You know right. what I'm saying? You always can be a teacher. You can always be a coach. And, uh, I didn't have that. So I, I took it upon myself. You and just not have the money or, it was uh, a combination of, it right. was a combination of, of, of money Uh, but also just willpower and willingness and desire and dedication to finish complete school. I didn't like school. I went to school to see girls and play football, you know, that was it. I mean, so, you know, and I thought in my heart, man, I'm going to play college football, you know, and I'm going to go to the NFL and you couldn't tell me any different. You (laughs) know, the fact of the matter is, you know, it it was uh, a needle in a haystack Very few get to do that, I was one of the few that did not get to do that. But again, through that, God taught me a lot about hard work and determination, and how how to to fail forward, how to learn, how to take something that you had a high expectation of didn't work. So now what do you do? You know, and I do.
0: I want to go into that because yeah. uh, there are several things in my life that are that way as well. That just tried it and it didn't work. But the part of your brain that tells you to try it, if you keep that alive, you will find the thing that works. Exactly. That's but right. if you fail a few times and then just say screw it, yeah, then you don't find. That, that thing that really fits your shape and I think we need to like find ways to look at our uh, our upbringing and our gifts and like who we are as a person mm-hmm. almost like you would see it on paper and go where does this like what does this shape fit the next question I want to ask you is was there ever a season either when you were growing up and uh, and having you know an abusive father or or just at any point in life whether it be in business was there ever a season that you felt uh, and this is not like a literal thing, this is just like a mental state of mind, but is there ever a time that you felt you were in something you would never get out of?
1: Yeah, wow. Um, you know, there's a, been a couple of times um, in my in my youth, around 18 to 20 years old, I was really confused in terms of what I was going to do, knowing I didn't want to go back home. Right. That was pretty heavy as a young guy. That was something that... that that I didn't know how long that was going to last, and I didn't know what direction I was going to go, and I didn't know. I, I knew I wanted to make money, and I knew I wanted to be successful. Didn't know how to be successful. I didn't know what to do. Didn't really have a uh, <clears throat> excuse me a mentor to help guide. Uh, all I had was a power of prayer and some friends that really looked out for me, and mm-hmm. cared for me, and you know when I had no place to stay, I'd stay with this guy for six months, stay with that person for three months. I mean, I just had a lot of a lot of willing hands that you know they loved me. I was very fortunate in, in that. But if I had to narrow, if I really was transparent with you, that probably the toughest. The toughest time was probably most, and it's been probably the last five months of, of my life, really, mm-hmm. with with the divorce that I just went through with with my wife. It's probably one of the toughest things I could ever imagine mm-hmm. anyone go through. Uh, you know, being together eighteen years, and you you know, you know mm-hmm. this person, they know everything about you. You spend your whole life with them, basically half your life with them, and um, you mm-hmm. know, for various reasons, you know, they want out, and and um, but prior up to that point of going through that time. Um, you know, the three or four or five, it doesn't just happen. You don't just mm. get a divorce. It's like right. a, it's like a buildup. It's like a three year, seven year, five year, mm. you know, conversations after conversations after, you know, uh, you know, whether it's counseling or, or whatever the, the deal is. Sure. And I think that was, that was real tough. But the thing that I re- that I reflect and take away from that experience, although your children and your family being pulled apart mm. financially, it's extremely tough as well. um, You know, I go back to, like I said, when I was 18, I go back to, like I said, when I was in sixth grade, honest and truly, you know, it's, it's tough being in it. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, brutal to to a large degree. Mm -hmm. And even though the season doesn't ever seem to end and you don't really know how to get out of it and you're trying to work through it. Um, I think for me is just, you, you get to a point in any circumstance you're in, that's really, really challenging. You have to get to a point where you finally just, okay, God, you know what? Look, I have, I have tried, tried and tried. Now I need to trust, trust and trust. And I know it just sounds like a cliche that just trust God and just let you know let go of things and let God handle i mean i don 't think you know Noah you know built the ark from the couch. you do have to take action we do have to move you do have to you know, go in the direction of, of what you're seeking. But I think a large part of it is just realizing that, look, God's in control. You know, he's got the whole thing in his his hand. He knows exactly what he's trying to do. And for you or for me or for anyone listening to fight the process, like you're in the midst of something tough, you're in the midst of something you can't understand Mm -hmm. you can't fight that process. That's part of the process. It's not the outcome. It's not getting the championship. It's not necessarily maintaining the championship. Those are factors, but it's about the journey of getting to it. And then when you get there, it's not over. Right. You know, so, so, you know, I think, w- w- you know, the situation that I've been in a couple times in my life, I think we, even when I was a kid, when I was telling you before talking about when I was on the Blue Ridge Mountains and I was thinking of Romans 828 and I was crying like a baby, not wanting to go back home, but scared You'd know, be an 18 year old mm. kid. That was another moment where I was like, look, I just got to trust you. Mm. God, you say, you know, your, your word, you know, you have promises in your word. I believe your word. So I'm going to have to go with it,
0: you know? And I think this is uh, an important thing to touch on as well, because and I don't want to go too uh, deep into this, but just that even where you are now with the success you have had, like tragedy still happens. And But because of the things that you learned about how to change the way you think and how to live different, you are a totally different person in reaction to this right. than you would have been if this same thing happened years ago. Um, and the next thing is, and you may have already covered this, but what was like the turning point in your life as far as business or just whatever defines success for you what was the moment before any of it was real that you decided we will not go back to the way things were i will not be a victim of what has happened and what didn't happen like it just regardless i we are going forward
1: i think there's a there's a lot again i could i could speak of but to change it up a little bit i think when i was coming up in the car business i i got in the car business when i was 20 and I started from selling cars and worked my way up. And there was a point where I was letting it uh, be known to my peers and, and supervisors that I'd like to own a car dealership. And, of course, as a 22-year-old kid, it's kind of like they pat you on the head. They think yeah, it's so cute. Because, yeah. you know, like, cause, you know buying, buying a car dealership's millions and millions right. of dollars, right? Unless your dad owns one, it's kind of hard to buy one, yeah, right? Yeah. So once again, you know, the, the old Proverbs 3, 5, lean not on your own understanding but acknowledge him. He'll direct the path. I, I knew in my heart. That I believed it can be, uh, it can be achieved. Mm. I didn't know how, and I really didn't care how. I right. just knew that I'm going to set the course, and, and if it's, if it's what God will allow me to do, it's going to happen. I'm not going to get caught up in the details, which I know freaks people out because they're like, "Well, what's the plan? What's the strategy? How can you aim for something and have no plan?" I had a plan, but but it wasn't a detailed, you know itemized checklist and i you don't just knew. And you can't wait for someone to tell you that you could do it that's exactly right in, in fact in most circumstances i was told that i couldn't do it because of my age and because you have no money and, and to me those those folks were the the fuel the ignition that that allowed me to say hey okay i i think uh you know i thank you for the feedback because i i need to go right show you that i'm capable that i can get this thing done and I think, you know, uh, the thing that sticks out, I recall, I remember I wrote on a note card years ago. I use note cards all the time, and I, and I put my goals on the note card. And one of the goals was I was going to be a general manager uh, by the time I was 28 years old. Well, I, re- I recall specifically prior to my 28th birthday, uh, a year and a half before that, I went to my supervisor. I said, listen, can I go to the dealer academy to learn how to be a dealer would the dealership be willing to pay for the the, the schooling? It was like twelve thousand dollars plus some travel, so it may have been right. eighteen thousand dollars. And uh, and I worked for Auto Nation, which was a bigger company. They pretty much turned me down. They said their own they had their own internal kind of stuff. Right, do that. They're not going to pay for anything, you know, extra. And and so I asked the general manager. I said, Would you mind if I pay for it? Okay, but I just need the time. It was one week every other month for a full year. So right. I needed six weeks out of the store. But I can assure you. If the store goes backwards or doesn't do what it's supposed to do, I'm the lead guy. I'll stop and postpone the school. And you were already like managing that, yeah. I, yeah, I was oh, the okay. general sales manager okay. at the time. He was the general manager. He said, I'll, "I'll make that deal. You can go." But if the store starts to fall backwards, you're going to have to postpone it and put it on. I said, "No problem." So I went through the whole year, did that, and and so um, again, just persevere and being able to run the dealership, do my school, do my class, do the do the the dealer academy, you know, university that they had, you know, go through that process. And here's where, again, speaking about just having divine favor and just God having his hand on you, or just really leaning not on your own understanding. uh, My birthday is February 25th. So here we are. It's like February uh, 4th or 5th. The general manager that I work for moved on to oversee two dealerships, and they were looking for a general manager. Now, normally, the next progressional step for a car person if you're in a general sales manager your next step is to be general manager right and then from there be owner right right but i work for a public company so there's no ownership opportunity but i i was ready to be a general manager i was 28 right i was 27 years old and so uh and on my note card it says i will be a general manager by the time i'm 28 now i'm literally 20 days away right from my 28th birthday and okay, what
0: led to, and you may have already covered this, but what led to you starting to write down stuff?
1: Oh my gosh, I started writing stuff down. Uh, I started writing stuff down probably about 18 years old. 17, 18 years old. Um, I started. I was a big goal writer, and it'd be the the butt of a joke. my buddies would always in right. college. They'd be like, because I had this goal board, this vision board, and they'd look at me and they think it's so funny and so mm-hmm. hokey. What are you writing down? Because you're out ready partying and doing their thing, right. and I'm here writing goals for the month. You know, right. like you know who, what bills I got to pay off. What, what how I'm going to get there? Where I'm going to work? What money I can save? Can I open a you know? Uh, and I, I've seen that with writing
0: songs. That like everything changed when I started writing down every idea that people who have been hurt or just people that are really struggling they don't value their own idea like that and right. they don't they just don't know how to think about something that they're thinking is worth something right
1: you know, you know, I, mean? I think I, I think really uh, from, go, from going to a position of having any amount of success, and you know that word is very subjective, right? Success to me right. can be different than you, so sure. it doesn't have to be money. But in the context of what we're talking about, if you're going to be really, really successful at any endeavor, I think you have to be somewhat obsessed about it. In other words, it's got to consume your mind, your thought. The level of dedication has to be at a level where other people look at you and, and think, man, something's wrong with you. And I don't mean that like you, you know. Again, once you're married, have children, I really think you need to take a step back and look at some of those things because that obsession can sacrifice what you currently have sure. in pursuit of what you think you may want. Right, right. But I think as you're as you're coming out of college, or you're in high school, or you're in pursuit of something in your career, mm-hmm. and, and, or, and you're not married, or you're married with no children, potentially, and both partners on the same page, then then you you put those things together. But that was a critical piece. I was obsessed to succeed. I was obsessed to win. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted mm-hmm. to. Show myself, show probably my dad. If you look deep within the wounds of what my you know dad said I never could do, and so on and so forth. I'm sure that was deep rooted. There's right. no doubt about that. Um, but back to the story of the general manager story that, that I think is really, really uh, important to tie this in about really understanding that you know, you know, uh, God's got the plan. You just setting in, in course what you want. God will put it together if it's His will. 20 days before my birthday, this guy that was my general manager runs two dealerships, put my name in the hat to be the general manager, and the platform managers that were putting people in position to be GMs said specifically, "Louis, too young. We're not going to have a general manager of our Honda store in Atlanta, Georgia, our only Honda dealership, and have a 28-year-old kid with no experience running it. We're not going to do it. How long had you worked at the place? I'd been there uh, off and on since I was about 20. I started in the car, because I kind of worked my well, way that's up. that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I moved a couple of times. Uh, you know, Sandy and I, uh, we, we went to Florida uh, for about a year time. We thought we were going to have children there. But there's been a couple of gaps. For the most part, I knew everybody there. Been right. been around for a long time. Well, when they said I was too young, I'm sitting there looking at this note card going, my gosh, Lord, almost everything I've ever written down kind of come to pass. I guess I don't know how this is going to happen because I've got like 20 days, and they've just told me they're not going to let me have the job. They're seeking someone else. A few days later... Um, they tell me that they got a guy hired, he's coming out of Tennessee and he'll be here in a couple of weeks. So I'm thinking, man, it's a done deal. It's over, right? It's over. Yeah. So, but I still kept my card. I still read my card. I still, I st- mm. I still, you know, uh, prayed about the things that I desired. And, um, you know, it was probably, uh, about three days before he was supposed to come. I get a call from the platform manager and he said, Hey, look, the guy that supposed to come from Tennessee, he can't get his wife to move. The wife doesn't want to move. <laughs> he's not, he, he's not coming. Wow. So what we need to do is I don't – I want you to realize we still have the same position. We think you're still younger on the store, but you've been there for a long time. You can be the interim general manager until we find somebody, and we're going to still be looking in automotive news mm. and other places that we can recruit and, and try to find someone experienced, but we just want to let you know. But if you do well in 60, 90 days and we don't find anybody, right. you never know, right? Yeah. So here I am thinking okay I don't really have the spot but I kind of have the spot okay right. okay lord it's kind of quasi you kind of let me have it right it mm. kind of in line with my 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 goal that I wrote down right and but I wasn't totally content with that you know so I, so I call all the manage, managers in the, in in, uh, in my office and I told them straight up, I said, look, here's the deal. They're going to find somebody else. They've let me have the spot for interim. They didn't even introduce me. They just let me stay there and just keep doing what I was doing. I'm the mm. one that introduced myself as the interim general manager. They yeah. didn't even give me the you know, the respect of saying, hey, you know, congratulations, right. nothing. So uh, I call them all in, service manager, parts manager, sales managers, finance managers, con- you know, controller, you know, everybody. I said, look, here's the deal. we got 90 days. I said, we need to make a million dollars in 90 days, and mm. I think I can keep the spot. Otherwise, they're looking for somebody, and if we don't make a huge impact – they're, they're going to find somebody and mm. all of them were like louie we've made like a million five a million eight at the dealership for 12 months how are you going to make right. a million in 90 days i said i don't know i don't care i just know we can do it i just need everyone's buy-in i need everyone's belief i know we can make it happen are you guys on board with me they were like man we are. we would love to have you have to be the general manager you know mm. we you know so first month we made two hundred ninety seven thousand. Second month mm. we made three hundred and three thousand. Third month we made like like two hundred and eighty three thousand. <laughs> it wasn't quite a million, but it was right. really darn close. Right, right, right. It was so close that the people that were my platform manager said, Louie, We're amazed. You're doing mm-hmm. a great job, but honestly, we're going to send some auditors into the store to make sure everything's on the up and up right. because that has been such a significant jump. Yeah, yeah. something's not right. I said, right. hey, send them was on. Was
0: it? And not just about that. Like, was it advertising or was it word of mouth? Or you like, you know, what, it was a combination of things. things.
1: I, I, I think it was it was all about enthusiasm, momentum, having a positive attitude, right? Uh, and, and just being the tip of the spear every day. Just come and beat the drum, and just let right. people know you're there and you participate. You're encouraging. You're you're meeting customers. You're you're, you're you're setting the place on fire. Right. Get, everyone just feels like, oh, my gosh, I feel a, 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 annoyed. There's something going on here. You know, right. It's that something in business, those that own businesses that are listening, you understand what I'm saying. When you get that kind of magic team and that magic environment, you can't really put your finger on it, but, man, it's rolling. And mm-hmm. you don't even know what the heck you're doing. You just know it's working. So you kind of stay out of the way and keep doing the same things you're doing and don't mess it up. You right. know. So anyways, long story short, they called me back, and they said, look, we haven't found anybody. You've done a great job. The auto came back squeaky clean. You got the job. Wow. And so now, I, you know, it was one more thing on my card that I could look and check right. off the list and be like – and I wrote the same thing down. I'll own a dealership uh, before I'm 35, mm. which I bought the dealership. I was going to say that- – I bought the dealership. <laughs> I was 35 years old. Wow. I said – and my card on this one said by the time I'm 35. And so I had already been 35 for about six months before I bought the store in Villageville. Right. So I hit that goal. I mean, so – and I've had – I mean, I could show you a little things that I've written down that literally I had to rewrite those, those 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 index cards over and over because – I was just so fortunate that you write something down, man, pray about it, meditate on it, think about those things. I hate to say it but I was rather obsessed. I was I was extremely, extremely dedicated and focused. I right. mean it was laser beam focus.
0: I think it's really important <clears throat> that after you got the the job as general manager that you wrote that next thing down. That I think that because, again, going back to a a picture of yourself that's too small. Right. A lot of times when someone achieves a small goal that they wanted to achieve, they just camp there. Right. They just live in that place like, oh, I did something good. Meanwhile, because their picture of what they could do is too small in their head. Right. And what are things that you do to keep that bigger than it is?
1: You know, I think, you know, like, you know, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of different uh, philosophies on this. I, I believe in thinking, uh. So big to where really people look at you and they question your sanity, you know, because Mm. I think if you think, if I think, uh, X, Y, and Z can be achieved and you agree with me and my whole Mm. staff agrees with me, I'm probably not thinking big enough. I mean, I'm the lead guy. I need to be thinking Mm. so big where they're going, Oh my gosh, how are we going to do that? Now Mm. that's where the leader should be thinking. Now, some people may say, Oh my gosh, you're setting your people up for failure. You're not being realistic. Well, if they see it it on
0: your face, then you're not. Yeah. Yeah. If they see it, if they feel that you believe it, then they start believing it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've had the goal for years. Uh, I've set this goal since I was 20 years old that I wanted to buy the Miami Dolphins, Mm -hmm. you know. And honestly, you know, with with the stuff that I've gone through with my wife over the last three or four years, I mean, prior to that stuff that I've gone through, I mean, you couldn't tell me any different. I mean, right. I, I'm buying the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I mean, period. I mean, I'm going to be the owner of the Miami Dolphins by the time I'm 65. That was written hmm. on my goal on my on my note card. Wow. By 65 years old, I'm buying the Miami Dolphins, hmm. and um, you know. So I think going back to your question, how do you stimulate that thought? Or I think the reality is, is uh, whatever you think your goal is, I think you double it. Hmm. I think you double it. If if you're selling real estate, selling cars, you're selling pharmaceutical sales. You're in the sales business. You're 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 affiliate marketer. You're you're you know whatever whatever you do, you know you want to sell 20 units. Now I'm gonna sell 40 units. Right. And, and then and then you know, at that point, when your target is so high, you know, and you want to sell 40 units, let's say, uh, I mean, I don't think you're too disappointed if you end up at 33, right? 37. Right. Initially you said 20. Right. So, I mean, so again, and I think the more success that you experience in that capacity, you realize that you're stronger than you think, mm. you're better than you think, you can work harder than you thought you could work, you can put in more time that you said you never had, right. it's just a matter of, of priority, dedication, um, but again, you're never going to hit a target you don't set, you can't right. go out and and, and, and and shoot, you know, you, know, you can't go out and, and target shoot and not have a target, you're never going to hit it, you know, right. you've got to set something out there, so there are a lot of people that differ with that philosophy. All I can share with you is the things that I think has helped me. Sure. Uh, and, and to me thinking big and having big expectations to some, they're scared of big expectations because I'm not going to hit it anyways. And then right. I'm going to feel bad. So I might as well say something realistic and right. then I feel better about myself. And then when I, when I, said something realistic, I don't even hit that. Then I really feel bad about myself. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. the bottom line is, is, is I think uh, having a goal is, 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 is important to have a worthy purpose that you're trying to achieve and and then you challenge yourself to be with integrity with yourself mm. that are you really doing everything it took to get that? Right. You know? And that's right. really the thing because I think when people miss goals and they really reflect back on why they missed a goal, it's not really the market. It's not really your managers. It's not really your product. It's really – you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you. Because you didn't put in what you thought, or you stopped believing, or you stopped having the faith, or you started making excuses, and having that personal responsibility is a very challenging thing, because our pride tells us it's not me, it's somebody else. Right. You know? And so you really have to just look at look at yourself in the mirror, I believe, and and that's who you need to question. You right. need to question yourself, and you need to have a one-on-one meeting with yourself, not your manager. You know what and I'm this saying? this is where the faith thing
0: comes into play, because... I think um, a lot of people listening, and, and I guess myself in certain ways, I didn't know how this would go, uh, the podcast would go as far as bringing faith into it. I'd never want to shy away from that because it's a piece of who I am. Sure. And it affects every single thing. But um, on the other hand, this going back to what you were just saying about goals, that um, it's super important uh, for me as a Christian to uh, find proper ways to deal with shame that you either were Grown up in, or was just a way, a part of the way that your family thought, or just a part of the way that you grew up thinking. If right. you grew up with the shame of people that are used to wearing the thing, everything they've done, mm-hmm. uh, everywhere, right? Uh, to like learn how to where to go with that and how to get well, rid back of that to, stuff. Well,
1: look, it's back to what we said before. I don't care if you have shame because you did something as a 17-year-old that you regret. I don't care if you have shame because someone did something to you as you were 11 years old that you regret. Honest and truly, when anyone who's listening, myself included, to keep reminding myself that until you take a full understanding and responsibility and turn around and thank God, thank you, I'm in this crappy situation, thank you. This is unfair. It should have never happened to me, thank you. Uh, You know, I was taken advantage of. And I, I don't understand why it happened. Thank you. That whole perspective—it's the whole—the whole mindset of having gratitude. It's hard to be aggravated, and it's hard to 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 um, to have a bad attitude when you're in gratitude. You follow me? So to me, when we're looking at what we just discussed, you know, every situation is for a purpose, and every single painful situation is for a purpose. I mean, the Bible says that mm-hmm. that that you know, all things. You know, uh, you, you know, uh, things work out for the good to all people, right? But we always question why do bad things happen to good people. Well, the reality is, is bad things don't happen to good people. They happen to good people. They happen to bad people. They happen to all people. Right? And and so, you know, again. You know, for us to feel like, well, that guy's such a good guy, I yeah. can't. That's not fair. Why that would happen to him? It's it's right. got nothing to do with it being fair. Right. You know, I mean, you go biblically, like we were talking about with our faith. I mean, Jesus didn't didn't treat the disciples equally. He treated Paul differently than he, than he did Peter. Right. You know, Peter different than. I mean, he didn't treat them equally. They they were treated based on on their own abilities and skills. You look at the parables. Parables of talent. One guy got five. One mm-hmm. guy got three. One guy got one. Why? That's not fair. Why did that guy get one? That, that's the way it was. You know. Right. So. Ultimately, life's not fair. Right. The faster you accept that, the better you're going to be. Hmm. Uh, bad things are going to happen. The faster you accept that, the better things are going to be. When bad things happen, the faster you can say thank you, thank you so much for this lesson that I'm about to learn or, or what, you wanted to, to, what, what I can grow from, the better off your life's going to be. If you have those three mentalities and you understand that clear and you're convicted that, that you believe with everything you've got that all that stuff is designed to help you get exactly where you want to go, I'm telling you, not to cover off the ball. Uh, the last question is, what would you say to someone... We're done so fast, the last question. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> but we can go as long as we want. No, uh, the
0: last question is, for someone who is totally uh, mentally on the other side of this entire train of thought, they just feel like they haven't done anything to develop what skills they do have. They feel like they don't have any because they haven't developed any of the ones they have. Right. They just feel like a vanilla blob of human, you know what I yeah, mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, to that person, what are some like very practical... Thing, or not practical, but just what are things that person can do to start changing the way that you think? What are, whether it be small things that you sure. do every day, what are things, or you started doing years ago, you started writing stuff down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what are small things that you can do to change the way you think to start seeing you yourself different?
1: Well, okay, so if you are like me, um, and you know the end result because of my dad telling me I was a piece of crap. I wouldn't amount to much was physically abusive. My mom was not really there drugs all over the place. Caught her, you know, snorting Coke a couple of times as a 16, 18 year old kid embarrassed for her embarrassed for me, mm. you know, uh, all those things. And, and, and for all that to happen and for me to feel honestly, where the heck am I going in my life? Mm. Where, what have I got myself into? How do I get out of this situation and being clueless, not having parental uh, discretion or, or leaders to help me. Um, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I was probably in the same spot where you just mentioned. I was kind of like a blob of human, you right. know. I like, <laughs> right. what am I? I mean, here I am. I'm working at Lowe's distribution uh, p- uh, plant right. in Villa Rica, Georgia, on a graveyard shift as a 20, you know, 19 year old kid from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Mm. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 36 and that, hours. That part itself, just the sucked. shift, is it so sucked. dehumanizing. It like. sucked, man. It, it was it was terrible. But Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, my friends are partying, having a good time, mm. messing with girls, chilling out, doing all this kind of stuff. And here I am loading trucks, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking. Man, is this what I'm, I'm making $1,500 a month, $1,300 a month? But it's the only thing I had, mm. and then I started waiting tables. I'm thinking to myself, I knew one thing I didn't want to go back home. So, here's the first thing I would tell you is when you make a decision that you know you're no longer going to do what, whatever it is that got you in the spot that you're in now, in other words, I'm no longer going to do this to me, making the decision is so critical. And if you look at the word decision, the root word of that, if you look at incision, it means to cut into. If you look at excision, it means to cut out of. Mm-hmm. And if you look at decision, it means to cut off. Mm-hmm. So when you make a decision, you are physically cutting off all other opportunities. The first thing I would tell anybody is you got to make a decision of what it is you want. In other words, mm-hmm. forget where you're at. Where What does it look like when you mm-hmm. get to where you'd like to go? I don't care how mm-hmm. ridiculous it sounds. I don't care how 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 much you, at that point, don't believe in it. You got to write down what it is you want, and then and then from that point, once you make a decision of what you want, then you got to start training your mind. Right,
0: and don't be afraid to change the people. I would say either that you're with. Absolutely. Well, there's all
1: there's. Look, when you say look at a couple of things, there's so many different angles we could we could go. Right, and we would we would be in a series of podcasts. Sure, sure. In fact, that's why I told you about my book that I wrote that that. uh, you know, uh, maybe there's are lessons. that is coming out by the way. Yeah, it is coming out. Yeah, and, and it's called Life on Fire, man. And so, so, so everybody wants to live a life on fire, right? You want to be fired up. You want to be motivated. You want to be moving in the right direction. And what does fire do, man? Fire heats things up, man. And fire stands for focus. It stands for intensity. The R stands for reinvention. And the E stands for enthusiasm. Those four things are the key key ingredients, and there's many others. But, but again, you got to be focused. you got to have intensity, right? you got to reinvent yourself, man. You, and that's mm. what you're talking about. You're talking about reinventing yourself. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to go. What do you have to do to get there? you got to reinvent yourself. If you've been successful in some uh, endeavor in your life in the past, you can't rest on those laurels because right. guess what? you got to go produce to create something different, right? Don't search for comfort, you know what I mean? Exactly. Something that... Uh, I
0: heard a long time ago, and I think I mentioned in the last podcast, that if you're not where you want to be and everyone around you is telling you you're doing the right thing, then you need to get rid of those people. That's right. Because you're not where you want to be. Well,
1: if you're the smartest one in your group, you probably (laughs) want to find a new group, (laughs) right? Right. Right. But the last one's enthusiasm. And here's what's cool. If you look at the word enthusiasm, you look at the spelling of the word enthusiasm. At the end of the word, it's S-I-A-M, right? Or that's how the, 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 the ending of the word. And what that basically stands for is I am sold myself right? IASM is the ending of enthusiasm. People that are enthusiastic are sold themselves. Mm. They're sold on themselves. They're sold on their situation. People can't fabricate being excited. They're excited when they get a new job or they get engaged or they get married. They're excited. Why? Mm. Because they're sold for that moment on what they're doing or where they're to
0: Having a goal big enough. Correct. A lot of times when my goal is low, I'm just I'm just bummed about the whole thing. Even if I get it, I don't care. If I don't get it, I don't care. It's just too low. That's right. It needs to be higher.
1: Yeah. So I would encourage everybody um, to start writing down some goals, uh, writing some things down, make a decision on what you want to do. And the and the last thing I would tell people that I think is very valuable that I that I experienced throughout uh, a large portion of of my adult life um, is really just visualization. And what do I mean by that? I mean, and some people call it prayer, some people call it meditation, some people is a combination of both, but literally. Lock yourself in a closet 20 minutes a day and just slow your life down, slow the noise down, and just sit there in a dark room with your eyes closed. And the things that you write on your note cards, the goals and decisions that you've made, the positive conversation that you have with yourself is the only thing that should permeate your mind. And specifically, slow everything down and just just, just calm everything down and focus on what you want. To me, I can tell you, I, I sat and visualized what my wife looked like, what my house looked mm-hmm. like. I visualized the Lexus dealership, the Toyota dealership, mm-hmm. the things that, these are things that I I saw them in my mind. And I, again, Zach, I'll tell you, if you can see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. I really think if you can see a clear picture mm-hmm. in your mind, uh, you, you have a way of self prophesizing. And the problem with that technology of your brain is it also works for the negative, right? If you can see in your mind Mm. negative outcomes, here I go again, I'm too fat, I'm too slow, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too whatever, you will self-prophesize exactly. Right. The mind is a serious hard drive. Right. And And, and putting up boundaries
0: as far as what you let in your mind. Absolutely. A very small thing I've started doing is I listen to Dave Ramsey like every day. And that's because I tend to be so over-emotional and so not practical that this brings me down, puts my feet back on the ground. That's right. If you win at money, you win at most things. Well, a
1: lot of people say money doesn't make you happy, but I can tell you, I tried being broke. I wouldn't have that. That don't work either. No, <laughs> yeah. it don't work. So, uh, but anyways, I hope I've answered some questions, man. If you, if, yes.
0: Uh, and uh, Louis's book is coming out in a few months. You said
1: that's head. it. That's it. I'll, I'll make sure uh, you get the information, Zach. Please. And if
0: you are buying a car in Georgia, he is your guy. Or that's if it. you just like driving very far to buy a car, <laughs> that's right. you can definitely.
1: Hey, listen, if you are buying, if you're in need of a market for a car, you can look me on Facebook. It's Louis Heron. Uh, it's Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram. And if you want to email me directly, you can just you can uh, email me at louisheron@gmail.com. At Zach, I appreciate the little pub on that deal because <laughs> if you're listening and you like the content that you've heard or, or my, my mentality, honestly, Zach knows me. I've run, I run my business the same way. Uh, I, I, you know, our, from customers to vendors and my employees, it's all about inspiring, motivating and educating on how we can become better people. If we build relationships and we build, uh, if we do, if we work on ourselves harder than we work on our job, right. everything else takes care of itself. And I know? just want
0: to say in, in closing that, uh, if you've heard, heard Louie's frame of mind, and again, just feel like you are so far from that, that, um, I feel like people that have been very hurt are very cynical. And I've spent so much of my life in that in those shoes that oh, yeah. I would listen to this and look for a reason to discredit what you've said. Sure. Not because you're a bad guy, but because I want to stay in my miserable comfort zone and That's I right. need something to tell me that it's okay to That's do right. that. But if you are in those shoes, just know that uh, you know Louis came out of a very different situation and has become this person uh, because of mental changes before they were physical changes. And there's no reason that you cannot do that. Louie, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back next week if I can get my phone to work. <laughs> cool. Okay, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thanks Zach. Have a great week.